if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for being with us. You get your day going at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this free for all Friday. And it will be a large part of that today. We have a couple of guests, but we will have a pl- uh, plenty of opportunities for your free for all phone calls on this 24th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Speaking of said guests coming up. In about a half an hour, we will talk with the president of Americans for Tax Reform, Grover Norquist. He's got a prescription, he says. He's got a prescription on how to revive and help the American economy rebound when the states do indeed get opened up. Because I think a lot of people right now, after the new numbers came out yesterday, 4.4 million more Americans filing for unemployment as of the number given yesterday. That puts us up over 26 million, pushing up on 27 million Americans who are unemployed. And that's just those that filed, by the way. That doesn't count people who are contract workers <clears throat> who just had their contracts non-renewed. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't count people who, uh, uh, work for trade. Uh, that doesn't count so many other people who just don't go on there and say, well, my job has been eliminated and, uh, now I gotta file. This is what I made. You know, where's my unemployment compensation? There are a lot of people who don't file and who can't file. But of the ones that can, that can, over 26 million now. And there's a lot of people, uh, wondering, okay, let's say everybody opened up tomorrow. Is everything fixed? And the answer is no. The answer is no. So much damage has been done. Let's just say, you know how everybody likes to say, Mike DeWine does, uh, President Trump does, um, this isn't a light switch. We're not just going to flip the switch on. Okay, we were closed, and now our economy is open. But let's just say for the sake of the uh, hypothetical here that it is. If you just threw the switch, and tomorrow everything was open, Plants were open, manufacturers were open, retailers were open, restaurants were open. Uh, you name it, it's it's ready to go again. It's going to take so long to get people rehired. It's going to take so long to get production ramped up again. You are still going to be dealing with a very, very nervous public because they've had the bejesus scared out of them by the media 24-7, pumping all kinds of fear and hysteria into every quarantined home in America. Will customers, will people come out 
and feel confident about going and taking part in these businesses. In other words, the bottom line is we could reopen it tomorrow with a flip of a light switch, and it's still going to be a really, really long, long, long road to recovery. And Grover Nor- Norquist says he's got the uh, the answer. So we're going to talk to him coming up at about 9.35. Then at 10.35, I told you earlier this week we need to go to the Ohio State Legislature. And some of them in the General Assembly are ready and willing to go when it comes to pushing the envelope and perhaps trying to force Governor Mike DeWine to speed up the process of the phased reopening that it sounds like each and every day that he speaks is becoming less and less phased. It's becoming less and smaller and smaller in terms of what will reopen on May 1st. The fear in Mike DeWine's voice is still very, very evident. It's palpable. He is still, it's just, it's just not time. It, it, it's really, it's just not time yet. We're trying to find that balance. We just heard it in the newscast, didn't you? Do me a favor, Marcy, pull that uh, Mike DeWine clip that was in the newscast. Um, fear, uh, or excuse me, um, uh, it's just not time yet. It's, it's really just not time yet. He is terrified, which is why he is relying on Dr. Labcoat to make all of the decisions. And then he can say, well, she made the decisions, slash we made the decisions, from the point of, of view of science and medicine. And so, you know, this, was the, this is what we had to do. But the real truth of the matter is somebody needs to let a fire under Mike, uh, Mike DeWine's butt. Maybe that person or persons are in the legislature, like Bill Seitz, who will join us coming up at 1035. And I'm going to discuss the pressure that state representatives can put on the governor with him. Maybe... The person to light the fire under the behind of Mike DeWine is you. And maybe you need to join a massive protest move, movement tomorrow at 1 p.m. at the State House in Columbus. Maybe you need to be a part of that. The Let's, uh, excuse me, Let Ohio Work Again protest is scheduled for tomorrow surrounding the Ohio State House. You can participate either uh, surrounding the State House, State House in traffic with your car and taping Open Ohio Now logos on your car, in your car windows, so that it is just constantly circling, that message is constantly circling the uh, State House, or get out on foot, and social socially distance or not, your call, PPE or not, your call, but get out and show up on foot on the west side of the State House. Maybe you can get that message to, well, the legislature and the governor. So um, we're going to talk to Bill Seitz about that coming up. Uh, not to protest particularly, but about what pressure they can do. Because word is, from some sources, that things are getting a little bit contentious in Columbus. That there are state representatives who are reaching out to and shouting out to Mike DeWine that he's got to stop this dog and pony show with Amy Acton every day and get this state back to work. There will never be a quote-unquote right time unless he plans literally to keep this garbage lockdown in place until a vaccine is um uh prepared and again that's a whole nother you know a whole other story as to whether or not the answer is a vaccine and whether or not people will want to take the vaccine i won't address that part of it but my point is if that's what he's waiting for that's 18 months off this cannot happen so when will be the quote right time any time that it, uh, you know, people are put back out into the public without restrictions, but just with encouragement to practice good, safe, hygienic habits and to make sure that you are not sneezing on other people, that you are, uh, you know, sneezing into your shirt or your elbow and coughing into your, all these things that are just common sense, right?
anytime, whether it's tomorrow or four months from now or six months from now or ten months from now, anytime you're going to send people back out there, there's probably going to be an opportunity for a spike. Probably. So if that's the case, then why continue to hold the economy hostage for the inevitable? Inevitable. Governor DeWine, look it up. It can't be stopped. Inevitability means that it is something that is going to happen and there's no amount of obstruction uh, or no efforts of prevention that can stop it. If it is inevitable, which it is, then why hold the economy hostage? Especially now that we know with almost certainty that this virus is far, 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 far. Settled in for a second here. I have to do this a few more times. Far, 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 far less lethal than we were told it was going to be thanks to the antibody testing that has been done on a wide-scale basis in New York. Far, far, far. I want to get the exact number right in there. There's just no other way to say this. We have been told about the models. We have been told about the death rate, what the mortality rate. Don't say this is like the flu. This is going to be far, far more fatal than the flu. Don't say that it has the same mortality rate as the seasonal influenza. Well, you're right. We probably shouldn't have said that because it appears that perhaps it actually has a lower mortality rate than influenza. The same influenza that we did not lock down the nation over. Governor Andrew Cuomo, who was a feature of my uh, opening monologue yesterday because of his insanity and his announcement that the virus is death. The virus is death. The virus is death. That, 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 death. He, even though, by the way, his brother Chris Cuomo, uh, got the virus and stayed in his basement and rode the unicycle and, uh, and worked out for two weeks and then came out saying, uh, oh boy, that was tough. Uh, he didn't die. But Andrew Cuomo's back in the news because it is Cuomo's announcement yesterday that really shines a spotlight on all of the misinformation that we have been given. Cuomo announced yesterday that widespread antibody testing in New York State for four days was already demonstrating that the virus spreads a lot faster and a lot more widespread than people realized. And because of that, its mortality rate was even lower than they were advertising. You follow what I'm saying here? We were told that in New York State, the fatality rate, the mortality rate, of those who contracted confirmed cases of COVID-19 was around 7.4%. But that was based only on the number of confirmed positive COVID cases. With a population in New York State of around 19.5 million people, the findings, the antibody testing done of 3,000, which is a huge sample size of 3,000, shows that 13.9% of them had had the antibodies in their systems, meaning they had already contracted the virus, and many of them had no clue. No clue. Because the symptoms are invisible for many, super mild for others, 
no more than a flu-like recovery for others, and then become serious, more serious for obviously a select few, most of them in the very, very high vulnerability range. But finding out that with a population of 19.5 million, that over 2.7 million New Yorkers have had the virus based on the sampling trial or sampling of 3,000 people tested for antibodies. Over 2.7 million New Yorkers have had the virus and recovered. Guess what that means? The mortality rate of 7.4% actually drops to about 0.5% which is much closer to seasonal influenza and is better than some seasons of influenza and right on par with others. The death rate in New York State is seven, uh, not 7.4%, it's 0.5%. Or if you were, because you know we're rounding here, some of them are actually saying 0.75%. But again, 05 to 0.75 is right in um, keeping with the seasonal influenza rate. As a matter of fact, the recently ended influenza season, uh, numbers from the CDC indicate possibly 56 million cases of flu, 740,000 hospitalizations, and 62,000 deaths. Under the current count from Johns Hopkins dashboard in this five-month stretch, COVID-19 has racked up 845,000 confirmed cases, 122,000 hospitalizations, and 46,972 deaths. In other words, we shut down the United States economy. Here here in our state, we shut down the Ohio economy for no good reason. None. And I'm waiting for Dr. Labcoat to address these numbers. And you can say, well, ah, that, was, that, was the, the, that was the New York antibodies test. Well, it doesn't mean it's going to be the same thing here in Ohio. Really? How do you figure? We are told that the COVID-19 Chinese Wuhan uh, coronavirus doesn't, doesn't observe state lines. It doesn't observe national borders. It goes everywhere. Everywhere, right? Hold on to that music for a minute. We are told that it doesn't observe state lines. And it can't be stopped from going going anywhere. What about the human models? What about the human carriers? Are humans in Ohio different than humans in New York? I think not. I think the human body is the human body. I think the human uh, infection uh, ability to be infected, rather, is going to change only on what the doctors have said, age and vulnerability traits like comorbidity, pre-existing health uh, compromised uh, situations, So people are people, whether they're in New York or in Ohio or in Missouri or in California. And the bottom line is a massive test. 3,000 people strong showed that 13.9% of them had already had it and didn't know it. And that means the mortality rate is next to nothing, at least in terms of of comparison to, like I said, the flu and other um, uh, diseases and viruses that are dealt with on a regular basis. We shut down the government for nothing. All right, now we can hit that music because I want to take a time out. It's 922. We've got Grover Norquist coming up at 935 this morning. Looking forward to that conversation. And State Representative Bill Seitz coming up at 1035. In between those guests, 
And in fact, right now, if you want, you can squeeze a call or two in here. We will take your free-for-all Friday calls, 216-901-0945, right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Nine twenty-six. Yes, indeed. This is what we need right here. A little more of the cure, especially because how does Derek say it? It's Friday, and I'm in gloves. Something like that. Uh, let's go to phones. Get a couple of calls in here before Grover Norquist joins us with some uh, <clears throat> policy prescriptions, perhaps to help get the economy revived after we get it reopened. Uh, let's go to um, Cleveland, and David is on AM fourteen twenty. The answer first. Hi, David. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. Uh, Hello, David. To you and the listeners. Um, Hello, David. Can we punch up David on line one? The... Yes. All right. I don't know if we're not punching Hello? or if he's just not there. Hello? He, can you talk to me? No, he's not there. All right. We'll go to Bob in Parma then instead. Bob, can you hear me? Uh, Hello, Bob. Yes, I can hear you. Yes. Okay, can you, you hear me? You guys have something punched up, right, because you say they're there, but they're not talking to me, and I cannot hear them. So, All right. Let's try it again. Are, uh, I don't know who I'm talking to now. Bob, are you uh, there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to find good help sometimes. So I'm just kidding, Derek. <laughs> okay. Anyway, right, uh, Bob, I'm I'm fine, uh, Bob. Uh, I don't have a Ph.D. I have a, have a public high school diploma, but I spent about 10 years as an engineering statistician for a major company here. So I, I'm, I'm going to add a little bit of confusion, additional confusion to this mess. Um, uh, Dennis Prager suggested the other day, he was wondering why was it that uh, Florida was not experiencing a, a tremendous rise in the number of infections and deaths uh, even two weeks after uh, New York and so on, after it was identified there. So it, it occurred to me, well, what, what might be involved there? Well, uh, could it be that uh, these people are, are experiencing more sunshine and they're getting more vitamin D? And a lot of the doctors will suggest that, well, yeah, if we don't have enough vitamin D in our in our uh, 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 body, that uh, it makes us much more susceptible. I also decided, well, what about uh, air pollution? Well, it turns out Central Florida is one of the cleanest places in the United States, and New York City is one of the most polluted places in the United States. I've, I did a little further investigation and found that Lombardy, India, uh, Italy, where we had this massive... Uh, uh, death rate that was right. one of the most polluted places in Europe and uh, additionally there's other conf- confounding things that we don't know anything about for example Wuhan was uh, the the most uh, intensely uh, populated 5G service in the world up until now uh, so there's a lot of things that people are not looking at and and also our, our esteemed uh, uh, medical advisor in chief, Dr. Fauci from the Not Invented Here Department, uh, admitted the other day that even if we identify antibodies in, in uh, people from this this disease, um, we we can't we can't be sure that that in fact actually confers immunity. So here we're going after vaccines. Not that that's a bad thing to try to do. But well, that depends, I suppose. Yeah, that and, and Bob, I got to run. I appreciate your call. I got to get some other things done here. In fact, now I got to get to the news. Um, yeah, um, as far as the the light and the UV rays, that was a big part of the conversation yesterday at the uh, president's uh, briefing. 
And um, I was watching Dr. Oz this morning as well, who was talking about the um, studies on that. And the belief is not just sunlight, but high humidity does play a big role in killing the virus. Now, that's not to say summertime comes, hey, we're all in the clear again, but... Uh, it, there is there is a factor there, and you can look at some of the other countries in warmer climates, or even look at uh, some of our southern states, and you can see you know some variations of that. But they are they are gaining and learning more and more about what kills it and what spreads it much more. And some of the things you're talking about with vitamin D and sunshine and high humidity and other things like that. Uh, certainly are what they're looking into or among the other things they're looking into. I'm not going to address the vaccine issue right now. There is a lot of time that is between now and 18 months that it's going to take to make one that we will discuss that. All right, 930 news time coming up. Uh, Grover Norquist on AM 1420, The Answer. Let me tell you. Tax man does indeed cometh. You know who the tax man is. The uh, preeminent uh, tax reformer, I think, in uh, in America today is Grover Norquist. He is the president of Americans for Tax Reform, and he's got an answer to questions that haven't even been asked yet, such as uh, how, not when, but how are we going to recover economically? Grover Norquist, thanks for the time this morning here on AM 1420, The Answer. How are you? I am doing well. Good to be with you. You know, it's it's uh, we're all about when we're all about when we're all about when, uh, and everybody says, well, there's no light switch. We can't just flip the economy open and say, okay, now now everything's back going in. They're ta- everybody's talking about a phased uh, reopening of the states. You know, whether it be governors or the president with guidance as himself. So everybody's talking about when. Some are starting right now. Some are starting on May first. Some not until June. But the question really that isn't being asked is how. You can't just say, okay, we're back to business, and all of a sudden everybody is rehired. All of a sudden businesses are um, back in the black. As a matter of fact, some of those businesses will never come back. So, Grover, we're all trying to figure out what can be done to revive the economy, not when, but what and how. And you've got a couple of ideas. Certainly. First of all, do no harm, okay? the What the... Uh Nancy Pelosi wanted to do in response to the virus was to change labor law to make it impossible for people to be independent contractors. You know, talk about taking a whole section of the closing down Uber and Lyft and any number of uh, businesses. More than 10 million Americans uh, would be out of out of luck. Um, so don't do those sorts of things. Don't do permanent tax increases. We've got a temporary crisis. The only thing wrong with here is, is, is there was a surge of the coronavirus that people expected. We flattened the curve. We never found in any city that we didn't have enough uh, ventilators and, and equipment to take care of it. No, unlike Italy, where people died because three people showed up and there was only one ventilator that could, a respirator that could sit, keep them alive, and two people had to just be turned down. That hasn't happened here. The whole point of bend the curve down is don't hit that point where uh, you, you can't save people who can be saved. Okay, it's, it's a virus. It's fatal for some people. It need not be fatal for most people. And you don't want anyone to lose their life who could have made it with help. Uh, with help. We did that. That's already done. We've actually passed that point. We have more uh, of the equipment that you need to do this than, uh, than will be needed for quite some time. Uh, and so we're now in a position where a whole bunch of people are going to get it and you know, 99% of them will, you know, largely be 
find there's a small percentage where this, this can will be fatal because they have other challenges. But uh, absolutely healthy people are not uh, passing away from this. But we need to get – so don't raise taxes, which will be with us for 100 years, slowing economic growth. The Spanish-American War Tax uh, put in to, to fund the Spanish-American War in 1898, 120 years ago. Um, that lasted 100 years. Uh, the Johnstown That's incredible. Uh, flood I, I never knew tax. that. Yeah. Oh, oh that's, that's, that was, you saw that on the very bottom of your phone bill, the 3% FET, Federal Excise Tax, put in to pay for the Spanish-American War because only rich people made long-distance phone calls. <laughs> the phone cost $4,000 back then. So they, this was a tax on rich people. It was a tax, a temporary tax, because it was wars don't last forever, we hope. Right. And it was an emergency, because there's a war. But you, all the reasons they give you why they want to raise tax, it's an emergency, don't ask questions. Uh, it's temporary, don't ask questions. Uh, it's only on rich people, why do you care? Okay. Within a few dozen years, everyone in the country had a phone. And everybody was paying the tax, and it lasted about 100 years, it took, took the uh, phone companies to go to court to kill us. <laughs> the Congress never actually voted to get rid of it. Wow. Um, they liked the money. So don't do permanent damage. Changes in labor law. The trial lawyers are going to come in and try and walk away with a lot of money. That if somebody visited your house an X number of days later, they may have come down with it. Like they can sue you. And then your homeowner insurance will have to cover it. But by the way, the next time you re-up your homeowner insurance, how expensive is it going to be? It's not free for you. Yeah, you may miss the, you know, dodge the bullet of getting hit with a $100,000 settlement or something, but you will be paying thousands of dollars more. The trial lawyers have already laid out their plans to get rich off of this. There are some ways that this administration is trying to get health and human services to reduce the damage. They made it less likely they can sue people who invent vaccines. You know, if you're going to invent a vaccine which cures a disease or prevents it, and, you know, one in a million people can be hurt by it, well, if you're giving everybody a vaccine, that's not no people. That's several people. It's maybe a couple hundred people. And then they take those people and sue and raise the cost of all vaccines in the future. It's one of the reasons vaccines take so long to get done because the trial lawyers will sue unless right. you've jumped through every single hoop you could possibly do and people die while we wait to do it, um, trying to avoid the trial lawyer tax on that one. Uh, Grover, let me, let me jump in and go back. Yeah. Let me go just to yeah. the part about not, not raising taxes um, and yeah. even if you call it temporary. The... the Temptation is going to be great, though, right, uh, of, of every legislator at the state and federal levels to do that because local and state uh, taxes are drying up because nobody's working. You know, I mean, these are income taxes that are not being collected now. And, and, and so they're going to be like, oh, how do we fund the government? How do we fund our, our, our infrastructure? How do we fund our law enforcement? How do we fund all of the essential services if we literally have one? You know, what are we up to now? 26 million? 26 million people unemployed that filed in the last four weeks. That doesn't count contractors and others um, uh, who aren't going to file. So what are they going to do if they if they look at the revenues that are coming in and it cannot possibly meet the budget expectations? Um, what do they do? The temptation is going to be to raise the taxes on those who are paying them until more people start paying them. It absolutely will be. It is what the uh, Democrats are uh, preparing for state by state. And the answer uh, needs to be, let's rein in spending. 
if in the last 20 years we had simply grown state government as quickly as people's incomes and the population grew, so as consistent with people's ability to pay, the states would have about $500 billion dollars uh, uh, that less spending, okay? $500 billion is the additional spending added in the last 20 years beyond normal growth. So if they tell you they can't cut anything because, no, 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 no. They have so larded up compared to, and they're not doing anything new, different, or better than they did 20 years ago. It's not, it's not as if they've taken on some new project at the, at the state or local level. These are higher salaries, higher pensions. We've got to take a look at, at um, uh, government pensions. Uh, we have a real situation where there are trillions of dollars of unfunded pensions because politicians have told the unions, well, I can't give you everything today, but I will give you a pension that will bankrupt this city in 20 years, but I'll be dead. Uh, and uh, the time is coming when we've got to fix, deal with those and we simply yeah. have to hire fewer bureaucrats, and we have to get control over spending, and the government has to do fewer things. When we went into the Korean War, uh, Truman, a Democrat, called for a 25% cut across the board on every other part of the budget because that was a crisis. A politician who tells you he could only solve this crisis by cutting, by raising taxes, has told you there's nothing that the government does right now that's more important, that, that is less important than funding something on the virus, right? It, that, that the only way to spend money on X is to raise taxes because the entire budget is sacrosanct. Well, that's somebody who isn't even trying. They're not even looking. Well, but dude, let, when me, is the last let, me, let me ask you this, though, Grover, because, I mean, this is a bipartisan um, problem. Uh, President Trump, is you know our conservative hero and uh, the guy that we need right now and all the rest. But the one thing that he has not been, you know, very um, uh, forceful on here is cutting spending. Uh, he now I, I know that he knows he's got to deal with a uh, belligerent obstructionist and very very spend happy Democrat House that were that controls the the purse strings and the budget. And but he has signed a lot of things that have increased a lot of spending, and that's still what we have. And if he wins, and now we don't know who's going to win the House of Representatives, and but but if he wins reelection in November, the one thing that he's been, he's been great on so many things, but cutting spending is not one of them. So, uh, you know, if that's the only prescription is to cut spending, I just haven't seen any evidence from Republicans or Democrats that indicate we're going to do that. The challenge you have, of course, and, and you just said it, as long as Nancy Pelosi runs the House, she has the veto on anything they do. So if you want a defense budget, you have to pay ransom. Uh, yeah. They extort money for all of their other spending by saying, we won't give you a defense budget. That's why Tip O'Neill, under Reagan, always put the defense budget last. Because we got there and, oh, my goodness, we've run out of money. Guess we'll have to raise taxes. Um, well, if defense is the most important thing, vote on it first. You will also see state people uh, and local people put the highway bill at the end. After they spent everything else, oh, my goodness, no money for highways. How did that happen? It happened because you chose not to fund right. highways first. Um, so smart, clever, evil, big government spenders push you in a position of choosing after they've already spent everything that needed to be reined in. They go, well, if you want the parts of government that actually are useful, that people want, like roads and national defense, well, that's going to cost you. And we just have to keep an eye on that. And you're quite right that until we deal with 
the entitlement programs, which are growing faster than people's ability to pay, faster than your income, faster than the number of kids you're having uh, to help pay the burden in the years in the future, uh, we have got to get Medicaid under control and food stamps and all of the various programs that are on automatic pilot that are bankrupting the country. And when we have an emergency, step one needs to be, what budgets can we cut to fund this reaction to this emergency? I have to say that the administration has done one very good thing. There's been lots and lots of deregulation as a result of this crisis. Absolutely. The CDC, we had this big delay on testing and stuff. That was because the CDC insisted on a monopoly and the FDA insisted on monopolies. The president slapped them on the side of the head and said, let's let states do this. And all of a sudden, the private sector got in and was allowed to do the testing stuff and, and come up with tests. And it started moving. We lost a lot of time because the government bureaucracy, no, no, we'll fix it. And nobody else is allowed to do it. And they wouldn't work with the private sector. And they open that up, as, as they did years ago with AIDS. But we should have done, that should be what you do all the time, not when you get backed into a corner and it's embarrassing to you. Uh, a lot of states that, that our website, atr.org, slash rules, we have 333 regulations that have been either struck down or suspended for the duration of the crisis to make it, easy, to make it easier for doctors and nurses to work across state lines. For telemedicine. We invented telephones 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago. And what happened? Somehow we don't let you do, you know, <laughs> telemedicine. And, and now we've got computers and iPads, and you could look, you know, some doctor on the other side of the planet could look at your x-rays uh, to tell you what's going on, not wake up the guy, you know, you have a car accident at 3 in the morning. Why should the guy who's just woken up and is two hours away from the hospital be the guy that have to look at your x-rays? Why not the person in Hawaii who's... <laughs> this afternoon in Hawaii, um, uh, to do it. So there's a lot of liberalization and a good use of the word liberalization, opening up of society to solve problems and letting everyone solve it. Our restaurants were going out of business because you wouldn't let them sell liquor by the drink or you wouldn't let them do takeout because they didn't have the right permit. And the ones that were going bankrupt, I was watching something in Boston, they wanted to sell all of their uh, beer and wine and liquor bottles of it and and the food that was going to go bad. Uh, and they said, no, you don't have a license to be a grocery store. <laughs> Who's, this is not a government, this is not a government service. This is a government stepping on your face. Yep. And that they is, need to that back is exactly off what it is. They, the they do. They do. The bureaucracy is, is, is ridiculous. And, and like I said, I do not disagree with the word you said about taxes, especially when you talk about the, uh, you know, that they're essentially put in perpetuity, even if, even though somebody may say it's temporary. So I don't disagree, but I know it's going to be very, very hard to rein in spending if we're going to try to find a way to meet, you know, meet our budget. Uh, I won't even say our goals, but our budget necessities with the less, you know, lower amount of tax revenues being collected right now, unless they raise them. If the, uh, if the answer is, to cease spending or to limit spending. I'm just very, very worried. Like you said, Nancy Pelosi's still in charge, at least for you know the remainder of this year, and we'll see what happens um, come November. Uh, Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform. Thank you so much, Grover, for the great analysis. Thank you for letting me join you. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. All right, 9.50 on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, don't forget, you got weekend plans at the movies. And by the way, at the movies means your couch, your recliner, your Barca lounger, and your big screen, or your small screen, or your iPad screen, or your computer screen. Uh, that's going to the movies these days. 
See No Safe Spaces. It's online at nosafespaces.com, available for a limited time only with the discount code of SAVE25, S-A-V-E, SAVE25. What's that mean? It means you save 25% off the cost if you enter that into the uh, discount code window. No Safe Spaces, the number one political documentary of 2019. Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla teamed up to put together an amazing look at um, free speech in America and how it is just under attack from the progressive left. No matter what you say, if they don't like it, the radical left will get you. They'll shut you down on social media, at your school, at your church, at your work. Uh, doesn't matter what it is, they will shut you down. No safe spaces. Now, if you think it's just going to be a bunch of bad news, it's also pretty funny. you got to watch it yourself and really kind of laugh at the absurdity of it all while also educating yourself. NoSafeSpaces.com. Watch that movie while you can. 9.51, back after this. All right, 9.56, short segment here, but I can get a call or two in. Uh, by the way, my friend Dan Ramada from uh, RGA Exposed, the Red Green Axis Exposed uh, with Jim Simpson, just sent me a text and said, after they watch No Safe Spaces, then they can watch you and Patrick Wood as guests of the RGA webinar on uh, on uh, Sunday night. <laughs> very well played, Dan. Very, very well played. And yes, that is true. I will be a guest along with Patrick Wood of Technocracy News and the Citizens for Free Speech organization that I also work with. Um, we'll be guests of RGA Exposed. Uh, the webinar is at 7.30 p.m. on Sunday. And if you want a link to watch it, just send an email requesting that link to RGA at EagleFireMail.com. RGA at EagleFireMail.com. Well played, Mr. Ramada. Sandy is in uh, Rocky River. Uh, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead, Sandy. Hi, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. You mentioned some um, statistics that I grabbed a pencil and took notes for, but I can't find that resource regarding that 2.7 million New Yorkers have recovered and they've reduced their death calculation immensely. Can you yeah. give me a source for that? Uh, Andrew Cuomo's the source. He actually announced it yesterday at his, at his, uh, at his uh, um, statewide press briefing. Uh, the governor of New York actually, and I actually have some audio of it here. I don't have time to play it at the moment. Okay, but he, so I can he search it on his, uh, yesterday's speech. Yeah, yesterday's you, briefing, he, uh, even with briefing, slides okay. and everything else. Yeah, he put the yeah. entire thing up on the board. Because we are crazy. I was in the park walking, and there was a woman there with her children, and as we were passing, she called out loudly, six feet, six feet. And, I, you know, it took me back. I wanted to kind of, like, slap her at first, and then I was very sad <laughs> as I walked past her that this overprotective helicopter mom is now a Boeing 747 in fear and angry and overprotective. This is not good. This is and not right. And it's because of the media, which has yes. pumped fear and anxiety and 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 uh, unrealistic uh, uh, expectations all into every quarantined home through the radio, through the television, uh, through the internet. That's what they're doing. They're creating fear and hysteria, and it's leading people to act out like you just described uh, in the park. Thanks, Sandy, for the call. I appreciate it. But yeah, definitely check out. It's Andrew Cuomo's. Um, uh, presentation yesterday. I have linked a story to it that was written, you know, just coverage of it from townhall.com to my Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, you can do that. Go to France Radio on Facebook and you can also read coverage of it there. And I think there are links to Cuomo as well. Uh, Brian, calling from Shaker. Hey, Brian, go ahead. 
Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Uh, for, okay, for, first thing, uh, there's this guy named Peter Walker that was interviewed on Tucker Carlson last night. That it, that was mind-blowing. I saw it. Um, okay, yeah. Second, Secondly, Cuomo's, Cuomo's brother that recovered from the coronavirus even was talking about how he was actually immune-compromised. So, not, so, 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 yeah, Cuomo, it's not death. And, right, exactly, and, and that's that. You know, that his brother should have been the number one thing that the reporter responded to whenever he was screaming. What do you mean? How can the how can the cure be worse than the disease? The disease is death. The disease is death. I would have done what you just said. You know, your brother had the disease and he was immune compromised. Did he die? Okay, then stop saying it's death, especially when it's such a tiny, tiny percentage of people who actually do die from it, uh, which, again, includes his brother as a recoverer. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the call. i got to get to the news so that we can come back. and got plenty of calls, plenty of time in the next half hour for calls. Our next guest will not be until 1035. When we talk to an Ohio State legislator who I think is really, truly concerned about getting our state open again, and is ready to push back against Governor DeWine in order to make that happen quicker and more effectively. Bill Seitz will be joining us at about 1035. Stay here for hour two on AM 4.